0: This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Are you ready to study God's Word together this morning? Turn to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. If you're watching from home this morning, we would encourage you to look at the description of today's live stream, and there should be a listening guide there for you that you can download and follow along as we make our way through the text this morning. Well, this weekend has been an emotional time for me personally. Uh, On Thursday afternoon, my dear friend and one of my greatest mentors in life, John Ramirez passed away due to complications from COVID-19. And uh, brothers and sisters, this week has just been the moment for me where this virus is no longer in the hypotheticals. It's no longer just out there somewhere and just a political football for people to debate. Um, the realness Uh, Is palpable this week, especially as I've watched from a distance one of my very dear loved ones succumb to it. John Ramirez was my first supervisor when I moved here to the Boston area to be a campus missionary at UMass Lowell. He was the director of collegiate ministries at the Baptist Convention of New England at the time. But it didn't take long for John and his wife, Anna, to become much more to me than simply supervisor or supervisee. Um, They chased after me. They invested in me. They spiritually adopted me. And John and I quickly became kindred spirits. Um, We would share meals together. Um, we would go to different parks and just simply walk together and talk. And, and it was the talks that meant the most to me. Um, the talks never lasted as long as I wanted them to because I never wanted them to end. And there were so many times that, that I would call John and he would help me with one of my ministry quandaries. And he just had the ability to ask the Rev in my life today that I have a much more active relationship with than John because of the miles that separated us in recent years. But here's why I say that his passing leaves a noticeable hole in my life. It's because John served a very unique function in my life and in my ministry. Because when I look back at my time over the last two decades... It is John, in large part, that is owing to my two decades of ministry in New England. It's it's in large part owing to him why I have such a love for college students even today. And it's why I myself have such a deep passion for mentoring because of what I experienced through his investment and Anna's investment when I moved to New England. So... As long as God gives me breath, John's name and John's memory will be both on my heart and on my tongue. I want to share something this morning as we get ready for this morning's message. I want to share something from John's wife, Anna, a digital vigil praying for John's recovery. Anna wrote these words on Facebook. She wrote, we haven't been spared from life's challenges, and this disease has impacted us. Thousands, millions have died or will die. Only God knows what the outcome of every life will be. And whatever that means for John Ramirez, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So many people, so much loss, so much grief is in the world right now. We are meant to grieve. Our hope, our comfort Our salvation is Jesus Christ. Emmanuel means God with us. I must hold everything I love with open hands so God doesn't have to pry my fingers off. I cannot tell you what will happen to John. I do not know. But Jesus is at the throne of God with each prayer and petition you make. I am so thankful for friends, family, and acquaintances who love us and pray for us. We have known extravagant love and mercy. And that's it. That's it right there. It's what I want to show you from the scriptures this morning during this Advent series. What is it that brings a grieving wife to write such hope-filled words with so much unknown about her husband while he lay in a medical coma on a ventilator? How is it that even in the midst of such fear, such grief, such pain, how is it that she at the very same time can be so confident and so steady? Well, I know John and Anna very deeply, and here's what I can tell you. It's because at the root of their lives resides the deep-seated joy of Jesus. And so no matter what the Ramirez's faced in life together or what Anna faces now after the loss of her beloved John, The joy of Christ wells up like a spring saturating her tear-stained eyes and flooding the cracked river, the cracked riverbed that is her loss and fuels her public witness that would be absent apart from the joy of Jesus. And that leads me to point out for you, Another message we're going to see this morning, crying out from Jesus's manger. And here it is as our central truth this morning. And here's where you can pick up with your notes. Jesus came so you could experience lasting joy. Make it personal this morning. Jesus came so that you can experience lasting joy. It might even be a good exercise for you to just pause In the stillness of your heart, and just say those words to yourself Jesus came so that I could experience lasting joy. Lasting joy, not temporary joy, not joy today when everything is great, but then gone tomorrow when calamity strikes. No, Jesus's joy is a joy that comes directly from Himself. And it will take root in your life today, and it will continue bearing fruit for all of your life here on earth and throughout. In the middle of his ministry, in John chapter 10, said these words. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And as we're going to see in our message this morning, this joy is not predicated upon circumstances, it's a joy that manifests in our unsettling times as much as it's present, present in our mountaintop experiences. In fact, the joy that Jesus gives is the very means through which you can endure your unsettling times. That's Jesus' joy. It's what he came to bring you and it's what John Ramirez so richly knew in life and the joy that Anna now in her grief so richly displays as she grieves. And it's Jesus' joy that I so want you to see and to cherish this morning from the scriptures. And so for that, I want us to read a short passage from the book of Psalms. Psalm 126, it's what is known as a psalm of ascent. You may have that written in the heading of your Bible for Psalm 120. It would have been written and sung after God's people experienced His rescue or His deliverance. And so follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read the text aloud. The psalmist writes, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Every Christmas, as we've done this morning, we sing, Joy to the World, the Lord has come. But how does someone get that joy? And if you're a follower of Jesus how do you make that joy last? How does that joy, how is it experienced in an everlasting way? Well, I hope to show you this morning a three-pronged way of answering that question. And it involves living life here on earth while considering our past, our present, and our future. And I want to I want to show it to you from an Old Testament psalm with New Testament parallels. So here we go. How do we experience the lasting joy that Jesus said he came to bring? First, we recall God's deliverance in the past. We recall God's deliverance in the past. Now, here in this psalm, God's people knew pain. They had experienced real crises. They were oppressed by foreign adversaries. They lived in captivity by invading armies. And they lived through God's judgment for their disobedience and national unfaithfulness. But look at the good news in verse 1 the Lord restored their fortunes, God redeemed their circumstances he delivered them from their oppression he forgave their sin and look at the people's response it was like a dream to them god's deliverance was so quick so shocking so great that it just seemed like they were waking up from a dream but their response wasn't relegated to their inner disposition only there was also an audible response. The scriptures told us that they laughed. They shouted with shouts of joy. God said that other nations took notice of it, the text said. It said that the, the nations proclaimed the Lord has done great things for them. Consequently, God's people, upon hearing that, reaffirmed that reality and said, yeah, with thanksgiving, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. You see, for God's people, if they were going to have joy in their present circumstances, that joy in the present would actually begin by recalling God's deliverance of them in the past and if you and I are going to experience the lasting joy of Christ we too have to begin by recalling God's deliverance in the past and here is where we learn a crucial New Testament parallel you see for you and for me thank God we're not being invaded by a foreign army And we're not living in physical captivity by an international, but every one of us, left to ourselves, is oppressed, and is held captive by the enemy of sin. And that's why it's so significant that some of Jesus's first words of his public ministry are these over in Luke chapter four, beginning in verse 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and Jesus is speaking here of a spiritual deliverance ultimately Jesus came to deliver you from your oppression and captivity to sin he's ultimately come to save you from your sins and here is where I want you to see a direct link a direct link between Jesus saving you on the one hand And Jesus giving you his lasting joy, on the other hand. In Luke chapter 2, when the angel of the Lord announced Jesus' birth to a group of shepherds on a hillside. Do you remember? The angel said this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Who is Christ the Lord? The news of Jesus' salvation is good news of great joy because when Jesus saves your soul, he also implants inside of you lasting joy. That's why we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let every heart Prepare him room. You see, the coming of Jesus demands a personal response from everyone, including you. And including you in this room this morning. So if you're here this morning, or if you're listening in online with us, and your joy quotient is low today, I want to encourage you to recall God's deliverance from the past. Because if you're a Christ follower, there's a call to remember the day that God saved you. Do you remember when Jesus first saved you? Do you remember how unbelievable it was? Do you remember how your mouth was filled with laughter and with shouts of joy? Do you remember how you couldn't stop talking about it and you, and you just recognize that the Lord has done great things for me? Well, what the psalmist would teach us is that God's deliverance in the past fuels your joy in the present. My dear friend John knew that joy. Jesus saved John as a young man and he put the joy of the Lord in John's heart then. And then that joy went on to fuel him in life. And it carried him through in death. And now he's going to experience joy to its fullest experience forevermore as he spends eternity with his Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Brothers and sisters, God's deliverance in the past Fuel, it fuels your joy in the present. I really believe that one of the reasons why so many Christ followers experience so many days of joylessness is because they've simply stopped recalling the miracle of their own salvation. They've forgotten from how much God has delivered them. Is that you? This morning, is your joy quotient low? If it is, I want you to know you're not alone. For many of us, our joy quotient gets low at different times. But the psalmist tells us that one of the ways we fill that cup is we fill it up by remembering. And we remember God's deliverance from the past. Secondly, if we're going to experience God's lasting joy, the joy of Christ throughout our life, we also must rely on God's sustenance in the present. The language of verse 4 mimics that of verse 1. So after recalling God's deliverance from the past, God's people ask Him to do it again. It's like the psalmist writes, God, show us mercy now as you have shown us mercy in the past. And this clearly demonstrates an important reality today God's people are not immune from difficulties. Did you hear that? Following God does not Remove the possibility or even the probability of suffering, pain, or crisis in this world. Because here in in Psalm 126, even after they've experienced significant deliverance from God in the past, God's people are once again in the metaphorical desert. And they're praying for his spiritual rain to flood their hearts and provide for their daily sustenance. And that's why the psalmist appeals for God to restore their fortunes like the streams in the Negev, like a river. You see, the psalmist was used to Hebron's dry climate. But during the winter months, they would experience rainstorms. And sometimes even a simple rainstorm falling at just one inch would cause the water to flood through dry riverbeds with such great rapidity and even with such destructive force that it would flood neighboring villages and towns. So the psalmist prays for that type of blessing and joy to rain down from God in the midst of their current suffering and need. Now, here's the New Testament parallel. God's people are still not immune from troubles on earth. This is where I love the raw honesty of the scriptures. We are never told by God, the Father. We are never told by God, the Son, Jesus. And we are never told in the New Testament by any of the apostles of Jesus that Christ followers are exempt from pain and loss while walking on this sod. And brothers and sisters, I just want you to know, I think that's important for us to recognize because though none of us love pain and none of us love loss and none of us love grief, when it comes, we should not be shocked by it. We should not be shaken to our core as if something strange were happening to us. Because Jesus was honest with us. Matthew six thirty four in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, sufficient for the day, is its own trouble. Jesus told us to expect trouble in our lives. In John 16, 20, as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross and to die for our sins, he told his disciples this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into what? Joy. Your sorrow will turn into joy. That's the reality of life in this broken world. According to Jesus, you will experience sorrow. You will know pain. You will grieve over lost. You will be acquainted with weeping and lamenting You will be sorrowful, Jesus says, but your sorrow won't remain sorrow. Even if you are sorrowful for your entire life here on earth, your sorrow will not remain sorrow because it's going to turn into joy. And the way it turns into joy is because we rely on his joy to be our sustenance in our present struggles. His joy sustains us. His joy empowers us. His joy strengthens us. His joy perseveres us all the way to the end when we, his, when we know his joy in full, when we see him face to face. Timothy Keller reminds us that Jesus' joy is not like the world's joy. He says that Jesus' joy is not the kind that is a fizziness or giddiness that goes away in the face of negative circumstances. It is more like the ballast of a ship that keeps a ship stable and upright in the water. In the last volume of The Lord of the Rings, there is a moment in which the future looks hopelessly bleak. And the wizard Gandalf seems to be crushed under the weight of the world. Then suddenly he laughs. And it's revealed that despite all the care and the sorrow he is experiencing, underneath it all there is a great joy, a fountain of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. The Ramirez family totally understands the sustaining power of this fountain. John and Anna have two Sons. And their younger son, Mark, wrote these words just after John died on Thursday evening. He said, We are sad and we will grieve. Soon, though, we will let joy leak in a drop at a time until it breaks the walls and floods the house. So you can grieve and be sad too. Just let it end in joy for the man he is to you and the man I get to call dad isn't that good that is just a good godly response we grieve over loss we cry over pain but there is this deep-seated undergirding fountain of joy that is just pushing us towards jesus even in the midst of our great pain that's the sustaining power of jesus's joy That is the joy to the world we sing about at Christmas. Because for the Christ follower, his joy becomes your strength. His joy is what you rely on day to day as you traverse through the stormy waters of this life. And note this, his joy doesn't remove the pain. His joy sustains you through the pain. So in order to experience the lasting joy that Jesus came to bring you, first, recall God's deliverance from the past. Second, rely on God's sustenance in the present. And thirdly, we rest on God's assurance for the future. Now we've seen the psalmist recall the past and we've heard his prayer for the present, but in verse Five, we turn to his hope for the future. Now, the psalmist anticipates God's faithful answer. He writes, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Using the imagery of a farmer or a sower, the psalmist says in effect, we're planting our seeds today while grievously weeping, but we'll harvest them tomorrow while joyfully singing. And what is his hope based on? Is it simple conjecture? Is it wishful thinking on his part, no, it is the psalmist assurance based on the promises of God. Here in this psalm, God didn't leave his people to walk in a broken world without assurances for the future. And God doesn't leave you and he doesn't leave me to walk in the midst of our broken world without them either. Jesus was honest with us. He told us we would experience trouble in this broken world. He told us to expect weeping and lamenting and sorrow. And for some of us, that means we experience the darkness of depression. For others, it means we might know the pain of divorce or the disappointment of our estranged families. Some of us will know sickness or disease, while others might experience financial hardship or even an abusive boss. Some of us are faithful parents who have disobedient children. And some of us are faithful sons and daughters with disappointing parents. Our experiences come in a wide variety like the snowflakes of a winter's blizzard. But as different as our sorrows may be, as different as our experiences may be, we are united by our ability to hurt in this world. Right? You with me? Jesus was honest with us about our sorrows on the earth but he was also honest with us about our hope for the future. He left us with assurances for eternity. Promises that remind us that what we experience here on this earth won't follow us there when we're with him. That, through, that though our pain might be very palpable and real here, it's not permanent There. I want to show you two New Testament parallels that paint portraits of the lasting joy the psalmist writes about. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, in what is one of the grandest chapters in all the New Testament, Paul wrote this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he told the church at Corinth this, a very similar message. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Brothers and sisters, I don't have an answer or a reason to all the what's, how's, and why's of every instance of suffering or grief we experience on this side of heaven. I don't. And I don't know why in God's sovereign design, he wrote only 69 years for a faithful servant named John Ramirez. But what I know confidently is that although we don't always have a reason why, we can be assured that there is no hardship experienced here on earth that will go unredeemed when we are there with Jesus in glory. The Bible tells us that we live by faith and not by sight. That's true. It's what the Bible teaches us. We live by faith and not by sight. But listen to this. But just because we do not live by sight, that does not mean that we live blindly. It does not mean that we traverse this path called discipleship blindly. God has given us his promises. He has given us his assurances. And those assurances fuel our joy for the future. Because no matter what we may experience here on earth, we know confidently it won't last forever I want to share one last memory with you this morning as I consider the legacy of my dear friend John Ramirez a few days ago just after John died his oldest son David posted this sketch and this sketch is just simply in comic form what he envisioned to be the welcome parade in heaven for God's faithful servant, John Ramirez. This weekend, I've wrestled between two emotions. There's one side where I've just simply been heartbroken because just like any of you who have lost a loved one who is very dear to you, I've just thought repeatedly over and over in my head, Oh, Father, what I would give to just have one more conversation. Because it was the conversations I loved the most. I loved just sitting and talking. But on the other side, when you get past that, that grief and the brokenheartedness, I've rejoiced. And the reason, reason why I rejoice is because when I think about my dear friend and mentor, John Ramirez, What an example of a good and faithful servant of Jesus. What an example of a life well-lived for Christ. Starting out as lowly campus minister in Oklahoma, ministering to college students, moving to New England where he directed collegiate ministry for the Baptist Convention of New England for the six New England states, going on from there to strategize to be the National Strategist for Collegiate Ministry for our North American Mission Board. And then moving to Manhattan, where he and his wife, Anna, were Mission Development Partnership Directors for the Metro New York Baptist Association. And then a couple of years ago, moving back to Oklahoma to be closer to their kids and their grandkids. And upon moving back, they would attach themselves to this small little country church Of no more than 30 or 40 people. And John going back to his music degree roots. Signed up and applied to be their music director. From the moment he followed Jesus. To the moment he died. John Ramirez was a faithful proclaimer and servant. For the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I say this not to be in a cheesy way. I want to be like John. If I were able to have that conversation with him today, here's what I would think he would want you to know. He would want you to experience the lasting joy that he knew. He would want you to taste and see the goodness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He would want you to experience the lasting joy that Jesus brings to a life. And he would want you to revel in it on the mountaintops. And he would want you to cling to it and rely on it in the valley, even in the valley of the shadow of death. And so as we close this morning, each Christmas, just like we did today, We sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. I wonder this morning. Will today be the day. When you say. My heart. Has prepared him room. Let's pray. Father you are a good. God. And I thank you that not only did you save me from my sins, and not only did you give me a right relationship with you, but along the path of life, you have given me some outstanding relationships with others. And I thank you today for the example, the mentorship, and the love of my friends, John and Anna. And Lord, I pray today that as I've reflected upon his life and as we've looked at your scriptures together, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would draw our hearts, minds, and attention to yourself. And I pray that you would birth the joy of Jesus in our hearts. And where we're struggling, or where we're losing, or where we're grieving, Father, would your joy be the ballast of our ship in these storming waters? And Father, where there may be someone here, Or someone listening in who has never responded to the love of Jesus, to the joy of Jesus that he brings. Father, might today be the day that their hearts prepare him room. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.